Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Now we'll continue, the Lord willing, tonight on, on what I started on last Sunday, but I will, because I'm going to get back to something else today, but... Just remind you, the Lord told me he wants to take us as a church to a deeper dimension. Amen. And that's, that's something you can just say because you believe it and it should be true all the time. I mean, you know, it's kind of a general statement. But then the Lord spoke this to me. And uh, he wants to fill us as a church with his glory and presence. Amen. I talked about the fact that when God calls us together like he does when we meet, he's called us together, he has a purpose behind it. And as human beings, because of our flesh, you know, we are recreated spirit men and women. We've been created in God's image and his likeness in our spirits. Our bodies sometimes give us a problem because they're not redeemed yet. And so sometimes anything that you do on a regular basis can become blasé and routine. And, uh, but church shouldn't be one of those things. Amen. Amen. Because God called us together for a purpose and he's not blasé about his purposes. I read you the definition last week of blasé. It means unimpressed or indifferent to something because one has experienced or seen it so often before. <laughs> well, God is not blasé. Amen. He's not unimpressed or indifferent. He's not sitting on the back row yawning. <laughs> Amen. Glory to God. We must hunger for a meaningful encounter with God when we come together. We must hunger for that. We must expect it. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. I'm not going to go into all that I said last week. I want to go on to back to something I had been talking about because he said we need to be aware of the things that belong to us and not just be aware of them, but rejoice in them. Focus on those things. Be thankful for what he's done for us. And so that's, you know, we're talking on Sundays, you know, about what he's done for us. And so a few weeks ago, I, I started talking about what Jesus is doing for us now. You know, on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. He didn't say, I am finished. Amen. Jesus was far from finished in one sense of the word. He was at, at the point that he said that, he said, it is finished. He also said one of the other last things he said was, into your hands, Father, I commend my spirit. What he was saying was, I have finished the work. And he said this in John chapter 17, just you know, a few hours before that in his high, priest, high priestly prayer for the church. He said, Father, I have finished the work you've given me to do. Amen. So that's what he was talking about. He was also talking about the fact that the old covenant was finished. And to testify to that or to illustrate that, the Bible says that the temple, in the temple, the curtain that separated the most holy place from the, from the sanctuary was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And that signal, while that, while that uh, 
outer court stood separate from the inner court, the Bible says, and hopefully we'll get to the scripture today in Hebrews chapter 9, that as long as that stood, it signified that the way into God's presence was not, had not been made perfect. But some unseen hand, an angel no doubt, up high in the air, 40 feet in the air, just took and tore that curtain apart. When Jesus said, it is finished. Oh, glory to God. God moved out of a temple made with, with hands in preparation for coming into us as the temple of God. Oh, hallelujah. So, uh, so that part of Jesus' work was finished, but he was far from finished. Amen. We talked about the fact, and let's go over here, let's look real quick because I want to... Uh, I want to get further today. Let's go over to the book of Hebrews chapter 8 and just look at one verse, sort of a springboard verse that we'll take to start today. In verse number 6. Well, let's start in verse number 1. We'll read down through verse number 6. Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest that's talking about on the earth is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and the shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For the Lord said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. See, the, the tabernacle that Moses built and then later uh, David's temple, Solomon's temple rather, the holy place and the most holy place, God showed Moses how to build it based on a pattern. He saw the pattern in heaven. And this earthly tabernacle that, that Moses raised up was, was an, an image, a reflection built off the heavenly tabernacle. Now it says concerning the Lord, now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, verse number six, inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. Thank God for our mediator and that mediatorial ministry is, is primarily uh, exercised in the, in the office of high priest. Jesus is our high priest. Amen. Let's go over to chapter nine. And it doesn't take too long to read these, these scriptures. And I only, I'm only gonna you know, spend time on, on a couple of them, but I think it'd be good to read This entire chapter, in fact. We don't do this very often, but this is church. We can read the Bible, right? Amen. 
of chapter 9. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part, in which was the lampstand, the table, the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all that is in heaven was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience, concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings, fleshly, fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of restoration. But Christ, everybody say, but Christ. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and of calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. It says here that Christ came as high priest, he didn't come with the blood of goats and calves like the other high priests came and they came once a year and they entered into that most holy place and they, they shed the blood of these, of these goats and calves there on the, on the altar and they took uh, hyssop and they sprinkled all of the different parts of the, of the temple and of the holy place with the blood and that they did that year after year and the reason they did it year after year is because that blood could not cleanse sin. The word atonement, a lot of times people in, in the church world today use the word atonement, but the word atonement is really an Old Testament word. It's only found in the King James Bible, I think, one time and that's in Romans chapter five and I think it's verse number 11. It says, whereby we have received the atonement. Most modern translations translate that word uh, reconciliation or redemption because atonement really doesn't have anything to do with the New Testament. The word atonement means to cover. It's a covering. And when the blood of these animals were, was, was shed, it didn't remove sin. It didn't remove the conscience. It didn't cleanse the conscience of sin. It didn't change people's hearts. They were just as sin-bound and just as, as carnal and just as uh, uh, given over to sin after the blood was shed as they were before. What it did is, in God's eyes, it covered the sins of the people for one year. 
And because of that covering, God could then, in view of the redemption that would come through Christ Jesus, because of the coming redemption, he could pass over their sins and bless them as, as long as they uh, kept his commandments and, and uh, followed him, he could bless them, but his, the judgment for that sin was still outstanding. It was still an obligation that had to be met. And so in order for God to bless them, he had them to shed the blood of animals to cover it, but it's not possible for the blood of animals to remove sin. But Christ came, glory to God. And as the high priest of old brought in the blood of, of inferior beings that couldn't take away sin, Christ came with his own blood and he entered into the heavenly holy of holies like the priest of old. But he didn't just come for his, see the, the Old Testament priests came first of all, they offered blood first of all for their own sins and then for the sins of the people. Jesus didn't come offering sacrifice for his own sins. He had no sin. He came as high priest and he came as the Lamb of God. He was the Lamb of God and he was the Lord High Priest. He brought his own blood. You remember the morning of the resurrection, that first Easter morning? When the women met him, you know, early in the morning and they wanted to, when they realized who he was, they wanted to lay hold of him and he said, don't touch me, don't handle me. Well, later in the day, whenever they saw him, he told his disciples, he said, here, touch me, feel me, just, you know, because they weren't really sure of who they were talking to. He said, no, it's me. He said, look at my hands, put your, put your fingers in, in the holes of my hand and handle me. Well, why would he tell them not to touch him in the morning and tell them to, to, that to, they could handle him at night? He told Mary, he said, don't touch me for I have not yet ascended to my father and to your father. He was not talking about his ascension and seating at the right hand of the Father because that came 40 days later. He was here 40 days before he ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father. He was talking about this event here where he took his blood into the Holy of Holies and offered his blood as a, as a sacrifice and a cleansing for our redemption. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. That's wonderful. I said it's wonderful. We talk sometimes of the Pauline revelation. The revelation that God gave to the Apostle Paul is really amazing. Uh, and it's a revelation of what Jesus did from the time he was made sin on the cross until he sat down at the, at the right hand of the majesty on high. I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago. There are three main phases to the revelation God gave to the Apostle Paul. First of all, what God, through Christ, did for us in the great plan of redemption, in the substitution of Jesus on the, Christ, that, on the cross. That was God's plan of redemption. So that was the first phase. The second phase of the revelation given to Paul was what the Holy Spirit through the word does in us, first of all, in the new birth. Secondly, in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And then third, in the infilling with the Holy Spirit. Oh, glory to God. Those are tremendous things that, that the Spirit is doing in us today. And then number three, there are three phases. The third phase of the revelation given to Paul is what Jesus is doing for us now in his present day ministry at the right hand of the Father. 
He has a ministry right now for us. His high priestly ministry is one of the rarest and most awe-inspiring features of redemption. If it was not for what Jesus is doing now, all that he did before would be in vain. If he was not doing for us now what he's doing, we wouldn't be able to walk in what he's already done for us because he is our high priest today. And as a high priest, he is ministering on our behalf and representing us before the Father. And I'm kind of getting ahead of myself because I'm not sure where I, where I left off last time. Let's, let's, uh, I don't think I covered this. It says here in, in verse 11 and 12, Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not, of, not with the blood of goats and of calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the, and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the peering of the flesh, how much more? shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where there is a testament, there must also be of necessity, the death of the testator. For a, for a testament is in force after men are dead. You've heard of someone's last will and testament. That's what a testament is. It's a will. And he says that uh, it's only, it only has power, it has no power when the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For Moses had spoken every precept to all, for when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, "This is the blood of the covenant which God has, has commanded you." Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, no forgiveness of sin. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the holy priest enters the holy place every year with the blood of another. Then he then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men once to die and after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many and those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart for sin for salvation. I want, you to, I want to focus on two things here before I go to the next part and that is once and for all. Once and for all. What Jesus did, he never has to do again. 
the sacrifice that he offered was a perfect sacrifice. It wasn't the blood of, of, of an animal, goats and bulls and those things. It was the blood of God. It was the blood of the Lamb of God slain, the Bible says, from the foundation of the world. And it was always God's plan to send Jesus. Glory to God. Before Adam ever sinned, God had a plan. I said before Adam sinned, God had a plan. How? Because God knows everything. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows the first and the last. He's already been to the end. He's, he, he lives in that eternal realm. And that's comforting whenever you get into trouble. Sometimes things just come up and you think out of the clear blue, where did this come from? He knew about it. He knew about it before it happened. He made provision before it happened. Nothing catches God off guard. Nothing catches him not ready. Glory to God. Sometimes you and I have a, a problem kind of discerning, well, where is the answer? What is the answer? Like, like God's got to come up with it. He he's not coming up with an answer. He already had the answer. Amen. Amen. The answer's already been determined. Amen. And so, and so he was the lamb of God and he offered his blood once and for all. The reason he was able to do it once and for all because his blood does cleanse sin. The blood of the animals that were slain did not wipe away sin. It just covered it. You know, I, could, I have writing on this, on, this, uh, on this page here. I can put something over it and I can cover it. I don't see it anymore, but it's still there. But if I had a bottle of, of bleach and I poured it on this page, these words would disappear. And you couldn't find them on this paper ever again because they would be gone. Well, the blood of Jesus completely destroyed sin. They weren't just covered. They were, they were cleansed. They weren't just wiped away. I mean, we can use that expression and, and that's okay, but it was more than they were, they were wiped away. They were obliterated. Glory to God. His blood not only cleanses sin, it cleanses the conscience from sin. And see, that's one thing that they didn't have in the Old Testament. They lived in fear. God was a fearful God for them. They, he, he was a dreadful God. They didn't, they didn't approach him. They, they, they wanted Moses to, you, 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 go, you go up and you talk to God. Don't, don't let us see that fire and that, and that lightning again and that smoke. We want you to go as our mediator. But see, when God cleansed us, he cleansed our conscience and we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Oh, glory to God. Now, I want you to notice this, this here in verse 26. Once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Notice it doesn't say put away sins, plural. It doesn't say sins, plural. He did do that. But that's really not what he's talking about here. It says he appeared once at the end of the ages to put away sin. Not sins, sin as a thing. Sin as a thing. He appeared to put away sin once and for all. The Weymouth translation says to do away with sin. Philip's translation says to abolish sin. The Goodspeed translation says to put an end to sin. 
once and for all. You see, the thing that was different, one of, uh, one of the additional things that was different uh, in the people in the Old Testament and, and us today is their natures weren't changed. Like I said earlier, they still had the same uh, tendencies. They still had the same uh, uh, inward, not just flesh, but their inward man was corrupt. They weren't born again. They were spiritually dead. So they had a, a nature of sin on the inside of them. That's why, you know, you read the Old Testament and you think God did so many outrageous miracles. Things of which we don't see today. We don't see rivers being parted and, and the Gulf of, of, of Mexico being parted and, and, a, and a church walking through on dry. We don't see stuff like that. Are you, see, are you following me? So many tremendous miracles. And it's like the next week they were back worshiping cows, golden calves. And you think, what is wrong with these people? We think, I believe if I saw something like that, I'd last longer than that. <laughs> what was wrong with these people? Their natures hadn't been changed. But you see, in the new birth, we get a, we get a new nature. He put away, he abolished. When it says he abolished sin, not sins, but sin, it's talking about the sin nature in man. He abolished it. He did away with it. Now, our flesh, as you are well aware, still has its own nature. There's a sin nature in the flesh because the body hasn't been renewed or, or redeemed yet. But our inward man has been completely changed. Old things have passed away. The sin nature is one of those old things that have passed away. The sin nature that you had passed away when you were born again. And there is on the inside of every Christian an, an inherent desire to do right and to not do wrong. Now, I know our flesh sometimes trips us up. But on the inside, if you're truly born again, you don't want to sin. You're not looking for opportunities to sin. You're looking for ways to get out of it. Isn't that right? Even if you find yourself temporarily ensnared in some kind of a, a, of a sinful conduct, on the inside, you're wanting out of that you're, because it goes against your nature. Your nature on the inside has been reborn. Glory to God. You've received a new nature in Christ and you, you have a desire to do what's right. Glory to God. I know whenever I first came back into fellowship with the Lord, it, it was really amazing to me how I just, I just wanted to be around Christians. I wanted to be around the church. And I, I hadn't previously wanted to do that. That's the last thing I wanted to do was go to church. The last group of people I wanted to hang out with were square Christians. You know, this was in 1972 and seven, early, late 72 and early 73. And, and uh, most of the, of, the, of the culture in America was still pretty straight-laced. And people I was running with, we were not. And we looked different. And it's like, Going to church, you got to be kidding me. 
But as soon as I got born again, there was something on the inside of me. I, I'd go, I, I started going to church. This is a southern Pentecostal church, conservative church. With all of these real conservative, I, I want to say redneck, but probably not completely, but that's what it appeared, that's how it looked to me. Just real conservative, you know, and it was the oddest place for me. I wanted to be there. I couldn't explain. There was something, it was just, it drew me because of the presence of God. And these were my brothers and sisters. I found that I enjoyed being around people that, that, that just a few months before I thought were idiots. <laughs> I had nothing in common with them. And in the natural, I still didn't have a whole lot in common. But I tell you what, there was something in here that, that, that witnessed. Amen. Oh, glory to God. That's why. I have time. No, I don't have time for that. Right, so side journey I don't have time for. He put away sin. Glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. Let's, let's go now to 1 John 2. I won't have time to get into this either. 1 John 2. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Let, let me say this before we get to 1 John 2. I will go back and, and dabble in this a minute. <laughs> as, a, as a young baby Christian, I just, wanted to, I just wanted to know God. I just wanted to know him better. I wanted to serve him. I wanted to please him. And these were people that in the natural, I didn't have a lot of in common with, but they knew God. And that the presence of God was there and they loved God and I knew they knew more about God than I did. And I, I, I loved being around them. I found myself getting on first names, you know, with some of the older men in the church and they, we'd cut up, you know, and they'd, they'd grab me and they'd say, you come back to church next, next week, I'm gonna have my scissors, son. I'm gonna trim you up, you know. <laughs> And I'd just laugh, you know, and they, they were good, good humored about it. They didn't mean anything nasty or mean, you know. And, and there was just this, this relationship that developed. It was, a, it, was a, it was not the culture. That church did not have the culture that I was used to. I didn't go there expecting to find a drug culture. I didn't expect to be, the church to be a place where you could do drugs. Or that it would just have the culture of, of irreverence and, and, and worldliness. I expected the church, the church had its own culture. It's a culture of God. And here's my point. So many churches today feel like in order to reach the lost, we have to take their culture, bring their culture in and make the church have a culture that's like the world, look like the world, sound like the world, you know, and, and just have all the trappings of the world. I got to thinking about this. You know, in, in Jacksonville, Florida, they have a football team. It's not very good. Uh, it's the Jaguars. In spite of that fact, they, there are sports bars in Jacksonville that everything there is Jaguars. You go in there, all the decorations are, are the Jacksonville Jaguars, and even though their team is terrible, 
I'm guessing, I've never not been to one, but if you go to one of those bars, I'm sure that it's hip, hip, hooray. It's all about the Jaguars. You expect to find a Jaguar culture there. You don't expect to go in and see people in lab coats. It's not a doctor's office. I was at the doctor's office last week for my physical. It doesn't have a Jaguars culture. It's a doctor's office. Looks like a doctor's office. The people there act like medical people. What I'm saying is it's natural for the church to have its own culture. I'm going to say that again. It's natural and it's reasonable and it's uh, inevitable that the church would have its own culture. I, I didn't get as many okays and amens as I got a few minutes ago. I said that it's, it's reasonable and inevitable that the church would have a church culture, not a bar culture or a nightclub culture or a concert culture or a this culture or a that culture, but a church culture. I'm not, listen, I'm not saying that, that we cannot reflect in general terms. You know, we can, in generalities, we can, we can, dress uh, uh, modernly. We don't have to wear robes and carry candles and, you know, act, you know, be like that. These two men right here can go into any place in Gainesville dressed like, they, like they're dressed and they don't stand out. Well, they'd stand out, I guess, in, in tractor supply, you know. <laughs> but if they went to a professional place, they wouldn't stand out. So what I'm saying is we, we, can, we can dress in general terms. I'm not talking about that. Our music can be upbeat and, 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 and reflect more modern trends and so forth. But when, if a church tries to replicate the mood and the, and the worldly uh, 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 mood, atmosphere, atmosphere that you have in the world, we, we've lost our, our focus because God's presence creates its own atmosphere. And it's not a rock and roll atmosphere. It's, come on now, I said it's not, a, it's not an ungodly rock concert atmosphere. It's not a football atmosphere. It's not a doctor's office atmosphere. Amen, it's not a rodeo. We don't come to church expecting to find rodeo stuff. Come on, you, you go to rodeos, you expect it. But, but the presence of God has its own culture. And we need, to, we need to focus on that culture. We need to put our, our interest in, and that's what the Lord's been dealing with me about, that, that we press in. He wants to take us to a deeper dimension and fill us more and more and more with his glory than we've ever seen. That's the culture sinful men are really hungry for. They don't know it, but if they're coming in contact with the presence of God, they, if, if a man can come into the contact with the legitimate manifested presence of God, he won't care what you look like. He won't care how old you are, how square you look, how whatever you look, how you don't look like him. If he can experience the presence of God, that's what we need. Amen. And, I, and I'm not just and I'm not just trying to be against something. I'm, I'm just making a distinction. I'm making a distinction. The church has focused the modern church, and it's it, it's all across. It's all it's in all denominations. It's not just any one group. 
there's this running after. Let's have a, a let, let's try to make the world feel like they're at home. Well, we need to make God feel like he's at home. So we need to make God feel like he's at home. We need to make a place where God's presence is free, where God can manifest himself and move among us. And, and, and when that happens, we're not, care, we're not really caring about externals anymore. We're not caring about, about trying to create something. An art, there's this artificial atmosphere that's that, the, that the modern church feels like it has to create. When you have the presence of God, that's all you want. Oh, glory to God. Amen. And, I, and, and I'm going to tell you, it will, it will have, uh, it will shape the natural culture. I'll just say it that way. The presence of God in manifestation will shape the natural culture. When God is in, when God's spirit is in manifestation, people are no longer trying to look cool or, or anything. They're not trying to, to have any other appearance. When God's presence is in manifestation. You, you, all that phony stuff goes out the window. Really, it has to go out the window before that manifestation will come. But when that manifestation, when the presence of God is, is in us and among us, you know, it, it, it creates its own culture. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, thank you. Let's stand up. Hallelujah. The Lord dealt with me about the fact that we know a lot. We're a word of faith church. We, man, we, we're, we're full of the word. And, you know, our vision is that God has raised us up to make us ministers and witnesses of the things we have seen. And we've seen a lot. We don't know everything by any means, but most everybody in this house would admit that where you were before, you didn't see the things that you've seen. That, that, that we have here in this church some things that, that uh, a lot of Christians, because not because it's hidden, it's right there in the Bible, but because of tradition. Most Christians don't know anything about. So that's a good thing. But what the Lord dealt with me about is we need to be careful to not be satisfied with just knowing. You know, just being educated and, and, and knowing what belongs to us. We need to be thankful for what we have. We need to actually uh, rejoice. And it, it's, it's, a, it's an aspect of acting on what you have. When you start thinking about what belongs to you, and you start thanking God, and you start thinking about how it applies today. It, it moves beyond the realm of just academic information, and it becomes an experience. And it should gladden our heart, and if it doesn't, you just stir your heart up. That's all. 
And that's what the Lord said. He said, make time in the services, either after the service or in the middle of the service, in the middle of the preaching, just to stop and just think about one thing we're learning and just stop and give thanks for it. We have a mediator, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Think about this. I said this a few weeks ago. The word mediator in, in uh, the original or in, or in classical Greek, this word, uh, mesites, translated mediator, it had two essential usages in classic Greek. It was used as, as an arbiter, an arbitrator, someone who drew two people together. The second meaning was that it, that it was someone who was a guarantee or a guarantor of someone. Someone that pledged, if a man pledged himself for his friend's debt, that word mesites was used. He was a mesites. And the thing required in a mesites was that uh, to be a mesites, a person had to, had to fully represent both sides of the equation. For that arbiter and that and that and that uh, guarantor, he had to equally represent both sides. He couldn't be more on one side than on the other. And that's why Jesus is the perfect mediator because he was both God and man. He could, as God, he could show God, represent God to us. As a man, he could represent man to God. The, 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 the wonder of it and let me take you a step further. The wonder, the wonder of the new birth. Because we were just mere unchanged men. And now we are new creation men. We're not like, not in a haughty way, but we're not like we were before. We have been born again. And we have been joined to Christ. We are one with him. Now, be real careful about what I'm about to say because people can misunderstand and other people just lie about you. Not, not anybody here, but we're not God. We're not God. But in redemption, we have been joined to divinity. The Bible says in 1 John that the seed, the nature of God is in us. It's one reason we cannot just wantonly sin. You can just, he who has been born of God, he says God's seed is in him and he cannot habitually sin. And he went on to say in another place, he said, here is how we know who's of God and who's of the devil. He who habitually does what is good and, and righteous, he's of God. And he who habitually does what is sinful and evil, he's of the devil. I don't care what he claims. Because it's not, character is not uh, demonstrated by the occasional or the extraordinary behavior. Character is illustrated by what is your consistent behavior. And if you're a child of God, you consistently do what's right. I'm not saying all the time, but that is, your, that is your consistent main thing. You're always doing what's right. You want to. And a person who has a, a sinful, rebellious, ungodly lifestyle and they have committed themselves to that and they defend that, they're not born of God. 
I said, they're not born of God. You, you cannot do that. God and the Lord Jesus Christ, he's the perfect mediator because he's both God and men. But in Christ, he has elevated us up to a place where we're connected with deity. Oh, glory to God. What a mediator. What a redemption. Hallelujah. Jesus came and as the high priest, when he, when, when, when he offered that blood in the holy place in heaven, says that blood obliterated and abolished the sinful nature. Glory to God. You and I have been freed. Now, our, our, because we're growing in Christ, sometimes our flesh still trips us up. The more mature you become and the more uh, developed you, you become in Christ, the less you sin in the natural. And there is a place in God where there is no sin, where we can live completely above sin. I haven't found anybody that's made it yet. But it's there. It's there. It's there. Don't be talking about how many hadn't made it. Let's just make it your aim to be there. But in the meantime, his blood is always there to cleanse. His forgiveness is always there. Oh, glory to God. What a wonderful high priest we have. Let us boldly come before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for the new birth. Thank you for the indwelling of your spirit in our inward man. Thank you for filling us with the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your precious blood that was shed. Thank you that the sin nature has been eradicated. It's been, it's been utterly destroyed and put away once and for all. And that work never has to be done again. Oh, I thank you, Father, for a, a complete, permanent, eternal work in our spirits that will last forever. Glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Glory to God, 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 glory to God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Glory, 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 glory. Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. We're grateful. We're grateful for what we have. Thank you for redemption. Thank you that our prayers can be answered. Yes, bless the Lord, oh my soul. And forget not all his benefits who forgives all our iniquities, but also heals all our diseases. Yes, redeems our life from destructions. Glory to God. Daily loads us up with blessing. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. That's why we can have so many testimonies around here. That's why we have so many just week after week after week, people have, we all are experiencing God every day and we thank God for that. But, but every week we hear of people that have had extraordinary things happen that there isn't any other explanation for except God.
God came through like he said he would. Oh, hallelujah. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Lord, we will be grateful. We will be grateful for your blessing, Father. Hallelujah. Glory to Hasa. The beginning of your walk has been good and fruitful. And you've grown in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and of his presence. But the days ahead will be days of accelerated growth accelerated understanding, accelerated blessing. For I will take you as you are willing to go into deeper, higher places where my blessings are more in manifestation than they've ever been. Where answers come quicker. Needs are met sooner. Miracles happen with more regularity. Favor is more evident. And your testimony grows even brighter and stronger. And you'll have more to share with people, your friends and people you know. You'll have greater testimonies, greater words, greater wisdom, and you'll walk out the plan of God. You'll walk in his, in, in his ways. And you'll see what he sees. And you'll know things ahead of time that other people don't know. And your steps will be guided in a supernatural way. And your walk will take on the walk of of an unnatural man, a walk of a godly, overcoming man or woman or young person or child. People will see the difference and you'll give all the glory and all the honor to me and I'll receive that glory, says the Lord. I'll receive all that honor and I will draw all men to me. And great and glorious will be the doing, the walking, the talking, the seeing, the knowing. It'll be great and glorious. You and the world around you will be the benefactors. You and people that you love and know and have had on your heart for many years will come to the light. They'll come to the light. So be encouraged, says the Lord. Be hungry, says the Lord. And be expecting, says the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Father. Glory to God. 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 Hallelujah. Mm, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise you, praise you, praise you, praise you, praise you, praise you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Thank you, Father. Oh, we honor you, Father. We honor you. We honor you. We honor you, Lord Jesus. We honor your all-powerful name. A name that has all authority. We honor that name. We honor your holy presence. The presence of your spirit among us, Lord. We reverence it right now. Right now we reverence that, that presence. Glory to God. Because you're doing something inside individuals. You're doing things as inside us as a church. But right now, you're doing things on the inside of individuals. And adjustments are being made. Hearts are being changed. Glory to God. And as a result, this very day will be different for people in this room. This day, the 28th day of July will be different for people in this room. And tomorrow will be different. And it'll last. It'll last. Revelations and commitments made will last and bear fruit. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Ha-ha. <laughs> oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, 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 thank you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Thank you, Father. Young people, college age, teenagers, what about your future? What about your plans? It's not entirely up to you. Let God have his part. Let God direct your paths. Put him first. Seek his will above everything else. Be ready to lay your all down whatever you thought your future might hold or whatever you'd like to see, be willing to lay all of that aside and follow him with all of your heart because his best is best. His best is best by far. Glory to God. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Glory to God, glory to God. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. 
If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.